So that tells you a little bit about who we are and what we do. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit more of our sort of our family story, though. As you can see up there on the screen, there's a picture of our family. And uh, so I'm the least important one up there. Um, and then we've got my wife, Jennifer, here. She's moved from a back row Baptist to a second row Baptist. Now she's a front row Baptist. Uh, I don't know what's happening in our family these days. Uh, but she's, uh, she's there. And then Jude is sitting beside her. He didn't want to go to kids' area. He wanted to hear this sermon again. Um, I told him to just watch out for anything I missed so he can tell me after service. Uh, but this is our little guy, Jude, who is five. And then our daughter there uh, on the screen is Sarah. She's eight going on 28. I don't know if you guys have had an eight-year-old, but somehow she knows everything, right? Right? Um, but that is our family. And uh, God's done a work. In 2005, Jennifer and I were married, and we decided soon after that we were going to do something completely crazy that our families thought we were completely nuts to do. We decided that we were going to go travel around the world. We had grown up in Mississippi our entire lives. We had grown up in like little Southern Baptist churches where we'd never met missionaries. We didn't know anything about the world. We didn't know anything about missions. But we decided that we were going to work all the time for the first couple years of our marriage. That's a good idea, guys, right? Uh, we decided we were going to like never see each other, uh, work all the time, that we we're going to stick all the money in a bank account. And at the end of two years, we we're going to quit everything, sell everything, and start traveling. Good idea, right? So at the end of about two years, we sold our house, sold our cars, started to sell other things, put some clothes in a couple backpacks, and started to backpack around the world. We had no idea what this trip was going to bring, but we thought, man, we'll see some culture, we'll meet some people, we'll see what God's doing around the world. It really wasn't a missions endeavor. It was us getting out of Mississippi and seeing the world, going somewhere. And so we started traveling, went to Fiji first, not a bad place. We uh, went skydiving the first day of our around-the-world trip. Not too bad. Uh, we went to New Zealand and Australia and Singapore. And some people told us that we should go to Bali, Indonesia. They told us it's a place for sun, sand, and surf. And we were like, sold. And so we bought flights there, and we fly into Bali. And we're hanging out in Bali. We're doing the sun, sand, and surf deal. And Jennifer finds yet another S. Can you guess what it was? Shopping. <laughs> Jennifer finds shopping. Uh, ladies, right? There's like 10,000 little sundress shops in Bali, Indonesia. And Jennifer wanted to go in every single one of them and look at every single dress and buy lots of dresses for like 2 or $3 a pop. And we were sundress shopping one day and I couldn't take it anymore. So I went in the store next door. It was the knockoff Chinese souvenir store. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's made in China. <laughs> And I go in this store, and I'm standing in there, and the shopkeeper's in the back, and these two guys walk in, and they don't see me because I'm a couple aisles over from the door. They walk to the back, and they call the shopkeeper out, and they're speaking English, so I tuned in. You guys ever listen in on people's? I'm, this is my confessional. Right? I start listening in on this conversation, right? And these guys are brokering a deal to purchase two kids for the evening. They're brokering a deal to purchase a little boy and a little girl, maybe eight, ten years old. And I was floored. I had no idea what to do. I was wrecked. I thought, do I start a, can I say this in church? Do I start a fight? Um, <laughs> there's three of them and one of me. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not a big dude. 
But I'm, I'm, I'm debating on what to do, and I eventually run out in the street, and I find Jennifer, and we search for police, and there are none in this neighborhood. And we later found out it's maybe because they were paid not to be in that neighborhood because they knew what was going on. It wrecked us. We eventually find a police station. We're unable to get back to that place because we didn't have Google Maps. We didn't even have a cell phone with us. Right? That's a plug for Google Maps. But... We can't make it back to this place, so we can't help these kids. And it destroys us. But it opens our eyes. And we believe that God used that moment to open our eyes to the needs of people, specifically in Asia, but around the world. We continue our travels up through Southeast Asia, and we see more of the same, maybe not as in our face. We travel to Nepal a couple months later with this idea that we're going to hike to Mount Everest Base Camp. The only problem is, just like Texas doesn't prepare us for winter weather, Mississippi doesn't prepare you for high altitude. We didn't know that. And so we start hiking. We thought we're in good shape. We're young, right? We start hiking, and within a couple days, I'm getting sick. Jennifer's getting sick. We had altitude sickness, and we had to get off the mountain to get better. So we come off the mountain, and we have about a month left in the country. We find out that there's a little town called Pokhara, with beautiful mountains all around, but it's way down low as far as sea level. And so we're, we're like, man, that's our speed. We don't have to climb the mountains. We can just look at them. And so we go to Pokhara, and we're walking to breakfast one morning, and Jennifer sees a sign for an orphanage. <laughs> we could have walked down any street that morning, but we walked down the one that walked past this sign for this orphanage. I, let me just mention, I don't think God does things accidentally. I think God has a plan for each of our lives. He has a plan for why you're here today. He has a plan for why I'm here today. He has a plan for why we walk down that little street. We see a sign for an orphanage and Jennifer says, why don't we go volunteer after we eat breakfast? I'm like, all right, we have nothing better to do. We eat breakfast, we walk up to this orphanage, we offer to volunteer, they put us to work uh, peeling potatoes. It's like an entry-level job at an orphanage. And later that day, these kids come home from school and we fell in love with kids. In particular, we fell in love with a little boy named Sagar, who was four, and a little girl named Asha, who was eight at the time. We've got to see them grow up and we've got to sponsor them for 11 years now. We've got to see them uh, establish faith outside of the Hindu religion that they were brought up in. They've got to, we've got to see them hear about and know Jesus. We continue our time in Pokhara and volunteering at this orphanage and loving on these kids. And we believe that God got us off that mountain to go to this town to meet these kids. We also met a missionary guy there named Banad who was reaching out to his people and starting churches and orphanages and nutrition center projects and schools and all this stuff that he's doing to reach people. And we decided to come alongside him and start to give a little financially to help his work. And then we continued our travels around the world. A year later, we make it home. We've gone to 76 countries on six continents. We make it home to Mississippi and we find jobs in Missouri, so we move up there. I'm working as a therapist helping kids. My wife has a master's in public health administration, so she's director of a public health program. We have great jobs. We're making great money. We get the house. We start having little kids of our own. And God never would let us let go of Asia, specifically Nepal. We 
continued to talk about Asia and continued to sponsor these kids until finally our mission director at our church there at High Street in Springfield, Missouri says, let's take a team and you lead. And so we lead a mission team in 2012 back to Nepal. And during this trip, I remember being on the rooftop of our hotel watching this town kind of awaken around me and praying over this city for people to know Jesus. And I remember dropping to my knees and just crying out to God, God, whatever it is you want me to do, the answer is yes. Wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. And whatever you want me to give, the answer is yes. I get up off my knees and I have no idea what this means. I come home and we begin to give a little more. We thought it was just financial. We get some friends around us and they start to give. Before long, we're fully supporting an orphanage full of kids in Nepal. Like 20 kids in this orphanage. And let me, let me mention one thing to you. Listen, it was a little boy and a little girl that we couldn't help in Bali, Indonesia. I believe God has a plan for redemption for our lives, for whatever we messed up on or missed out on, whatever, whatever step we didn't take that he put in front of us before. I believe he has a plan to redeem it for whatever sin we committed in the past and whatever, whatever we'll do in the future. God has a plan to redeem that. That plan is Jesus. But listen, it was a boy and girl that we couldn't help in Bali, Indonesia. God led us to a little boy and a little girl in Nepal that we could help. But listen, God has plans to do, Ephesians 3.20 reminds us, God has plans to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, right? Beyond anything we can imagine, God has a plan to redeem whatever you've messed up on and do it better. So as a boy and girl, we couldn't help in Bali. It was a boy and girl God led us to in Nepal that we could help. Before long, we're fully supporting an orphanage of 20 kids full of little boys and little girls. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident. But it wasn't enough. God was still tugging at our hearts saying there's something more. In January 2015, I fly back to Nepal to try to figure out what that something is. And I interview the kids in our orphanage and I realize that one by one, these kids have come out of Hinduism mostly and Buddhism. And they've come to a faith in Jesus through Bible studies that they were hosting. But bigger than that and more than that, remember, God has plans to do exceedingly abundantly. These kids were reaching this community with Jesus. And people in this community had come to faith in Christ through a bunch of kids in an orphanage that most people would look at and think, wow, those poor kids. But listen, God was using them to do a work in this community. And I, I see this and I go, man, how do we multiply that? Like, what can we do to get alongside what God's already doing? And so I write this nonprofit business plan. I come home, I present it to Jennifer. We get a board of directors together in February 2015. We send in the paperwork. And in March 2015, a miracle happens. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had the United States government do anything for you in one month before, <laughs> other than tax you. But I have, just this one time. One month later, everybody told us it'd take a year to get your nonprofit approval. One month later, we get a letter in the mail, 501c3 status approved, get to work. And we're going, God, what do we do? Because we thought we had a year to figure that out. <laughs> what do we do next? And the idea of the nonprofit was to lift people out of poverty, inject the gospel into their lives, and try to create little missionaries. But we didn't know how to do step one, much less two and three. Everybody's got to have a three-step plan, right? 
We get our approval and we're praying for God to show us what to do next. And one month later after that, in April 2015, earthquakes hit the center of Nepal. There's hundreds of villages in the center of the country that are full of people who have never heard of Jesus who desperately need help. They need food and water and shelter and clothing. They need Jesus. They don't even know that they need Jesus, but they need Him. And listen, all the doors to these villages are open because they need all this. We take that as God saying, go, get to work. So we started raising money here in the United States and we started sending money to Nepal and our friends there end up in 20-something different villages sharing about Jesus, food, water, shelter, clothing. I fly back to Nepal in July to help to rebuild a village with my friend Subham and and a group of, I think, 11 or 12 other people. We go into this village and I preach my first sermon standing on the side of a mountain speaking to an unreached people group having absolutely less idea than I do now. (laughs) No idea what I'm doing then. And I'm preaching this sermon and beside me is a 16-year-old boy who learned English in our orphanage who came to faith in our orphanage and he translates the first sermon to his people. And I come home and I'm like, God, what do we do next? My pastor comes to me and he says, hey man, no offense, but you don't know what to do next, right? I'm like, thanks for noticing. I've been winging it this whole time, but thanks. And so he says, why don't you meet with this guy named Bruce O'Neill who founded Mana Worldwide in 2001 with basically the same idea that you have. Lift people out of poverty, give them Jesus, and send them out to share the gospel. So I'm like, man, I need that. So I meet with Bruce O'Neill and I share my heart and I tell my story and I say, basically the story I just told you, and I say, I'm all in, but I don't know what to do because we've got bills. Anybody here got bills? Right? We've got bills. We've got a house. We've got kids. What do we do to support our family? And he said, let God figure that out. But you pray about joining Mana Worldwide as a full-time missionary. I'm like, what? He's like, you're the guy. I think you're the guy. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not the guy. And I just told you I don't know what I'm doing, right? Listen, sometimes God takes your I don't know <laughs> and lights a path in front of you, right? And so I tell Bruce this, and he says, pray about it. He says, man, I just decided to take on an assistant director for Asia, specifically looking for somebody with contacts among Hindu people in Nepal or India. And I go, hey, wait, maybe I am the guy. <laughs> like, I, I've got those contacts, but what next? And so we start to pray about it. And a couple months later, we felt God confirming. And we said yes to man. And we said yes to God in November 2015, four years ago. I quit my job and we put our house up for sale again. I think the first selling our house was preparation for this time. And see, God's got a plan. There's no accident. We put our house up for sale and we started doing all these things to get ready. We started raising our funds to work with MANA. And as assistant directors for Asia, we raised 100% of our family support to travel around and do this work. And then we get to travel and speak in churches like this one and share the good news of what God's doing and what He's done through Jesus. We get to invite people to partner with MANA, to partner with specific projects These projects are led by missionaries and pastors who are on the ground full-time, who have a local church or we help them to plant one. And then they're doing things in their community to reach people with Jesus, to get them into the local church. Like you guys just had a big outreach here, right? 
the, 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 the festival, the trunk or treat is what you call it up here, right? To get thousands of people through here to reach people for Jesus. Well, we're helping churches around the world to do this. We work in 44 countries now. If you'll skip to the slide that tells about manna. We work in 44 countries, about 200 different ongoing projects. These are projects that are supported by churches just like you guys. Where a church comes alongside man and partners with a specific project. But listen, I don't want you to just give to a project because you'll only give for so long and so much to something you don't see, smell, touch, taste. But listen, if you'll go with me on one of the mission trips that we lead, I want to introduce you to the kid that's there because you give. Man, that's a game changer. Because when we went to Nepal that first time and we met those kids, our hearts wrapped around that need. We saw the need. We looked into their faces and we began to see the eyes of Jesus. Man, when you do that, that changes things forever. Mental Worldwide works in 44 countries, about 200 different ongoing projects. We have everything from starting churches to orphanages, nutrition centers, schools, medical clinics, digging water wells. And if you'll notice up there, the next to last item, anti-child trafficking projects. Put it together. In Bali, there was a little boy and girl that we couldn't help. In Nepal, God took us to a little boy and girl that we could help. And then he took us to a whole orphanage full of kids that we could help. And now he leads us to work for an organization that helps about 20,000 kids around the world every single day to stay out of the exact same situation that that little boy and girl in Bali were in. God has plans to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, church. Come on. Don't miss that. Don't think it's just us because I was sitting there looking at the guy on stage thinking I can't be that guy. But listen, I want to be here today to tell you it might be you. It might be you next. Online. People watching online, it might be you. People here today, I believe it might be you. People ask me every time we, uh, we come to a church, they come out to our table after service and they ask a couple different questions. I'm going to go ahead and address one of them. One of them is, why do we go to Asia? Why do we go over there? Because there's people here that desperately need Jesus, right? There's people in this community, in this region that desperately need Jesus. There's people in the United States. There's people in countries throughout this world that desperately need Jesus. And so people ask, why Asia? Well, listen, God grabbed our hearts for Asia. First, God taught us missions throughout Asia. God opened our eyes to see those kids and not just to see them as those kids over there, but to see them as our kids. Some statistics that and help us to, to share why Asia. One of those statistics is that 70% of the malnourished kids in the world live in Asia. 70%. It's crazy. of the unreached people groups in the world are in Asia. Listen, that means 87% of the people that have zero direct access to the gospel. They can't come to new life if they want to. They don't drive past here and see the church sign. That means 87% of the unreached people groups that have no Bible, 
that have no person who's a believer working alongside them that could tell them about Jesus. They don't have a pastor down the street or a person around the corner that can tell them about Jesus. 87% of those unreached people groups are in Asia. Every 90 seconds or so, a child dies as a result of drinking unclean water, and many of those are in Asia. And then listen, church, this morning, it's morning in the United States, right? This morning, it's nighttime in Asia. And listen, there are over 20 million children going to sleep on the streets of Asia, cold, hungry, dirty, and hopeless. I don't know what that does to you, but listen, that's not a guilt trip. That's a fact. (laughs) And to me, that means we absolutely, desperately must do something to help them. I want to talk with you this morning about Jesus' command for missions because command is a word. Sometimes we transplant another word into this sentence. Sometimes we say, Jesus is calling me to missions. And I think the church today, especially here in America, sometimes we've messed up that word. We've taken calling and we've twisted it. We've shifted it just a little. I think maybe Satan has shifted that word just a little in our vocabulary. Because listen, if we say something is a calling, does that mean we can answer or reject it? Because when somebody's calling me on my phone, I can swipe to answer I can push that button and answer it, or I can silence it and reject it. But listen, I don't think that's the way God intends us to live as Christians. If you're a believer in here today, I believe that God commands us to be a part of the mission of Christ. I'm going to walk through some of Jesus' last words here today. Because listen, if Jesus commands us to be missionaries, to be a part of the mission of Christ, we don't have an option. It's a command from a king. And I want to talk about Jesus' last words because wouldn't your last words be important if you knew exactly when you were going to say them? If you knew those people, the people that mean the most to you, your family, your friends, your disciples, if they're all surrounding you and you're about to pass from this life into the next, you'd say some important words, wouldn't you? I believe Jesus said some important words. I knew, I bet Jesus knew exactly that he would ascend, right? I know Jesus knew that he would ascend, right? And he knew exactly when he would ascend to the Father, right? He knew he's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's going to be resurrected, and then he's going to talk with his friends and a bunch of people, and then he's going to go. And he knew that. So his last words would have been important, right? One of the things that Jesus said last is recorded in Acts 1.8. And Jesus said, but you will receive power. Say it with me, church. Power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, I love this because Jesus sets us up here a little bit. He gives us an encouraging word. You're going to receive power. Listen, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer here today, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and through you. The Holy Spirit is not just in this place. He's in us. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to do whatever Jesus asks us to do. Being from the South, we talk a little 
slower sometimes. And I like to break down the word upon and say up on. Because if we look at it like that, if we say the Holy Spirit has come up on me and up on you, then that means we have power to do whatever Jesus asks us to do next. What's he ask us to do? He says, and you will be my witnesses. Does anybody have a Bible version out there that reads, you ought to be my witnesses? Does anybody have a Bible? I know there's a lot of versions of the Bible and that's a debate. But listen, does anybody have a version of the Bible that says you ought to be my witnesses? You could be my witnesses. You might be my witnesses. You may be my witnesses if you've got everything figured out. If you've got it all right, if you've never sinned in the past and you don't plan to sin ever in the future, you could be my witness. Does anybody have a Bible version that reads that? Does anybody have a Bible version that reads, if you've got the right education, <laughs> if you went to school to be a pastor or a missionary, does anybody have a Bible version that reads any of those things? We don't do it. It says, you will be. We tell your kids, you will do this. Is that a command? Or a question? It's a command. Listen, I believe this is a command from a king, not a suggestion from somebody else. It's a command from a king. It's the God of the universe telling us, you will be my witnesses, Christian. If you're a believer here today, we don't have an excuse. And it goes on to say in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I love the and in there. Let us not miss the and church because sometimes we say or. We say, well, I'm called to just do something right here. Maybe let's just, let's just reach this community. But listen, the Bible says Jerusalem, that's here around us. Judea and Samaria, that's a little further out. Maybe Samaria is those places that nobody else wants to go. And then it says, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, church, we have a command from a king we have the power to do it. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and working through us to reach people for Jesus. You see, Jesus came as a missionary from heaven in order to make us missionaries for heaven. Let me say it again, church. Jesus came as a missionary from heaven because isn't that what He did when He came here to tell us this good news, to live a perfect life, to die a death He didn't deserve, to go to a grave that was borrowed, to come out of that grave to tell people if you believe you can have everlasting life. Isn't that what He did? He came as a missionary to us to be a missionary through us, to lead us to people around the world. I don't know about you, but that sounds scary, doesn't it? It sounds scary when God calls you to do something more than you've ever done before. It sounds scary when God calls you to take the next step down the path that He lights before you. But listen, you don't need a light on your path. You don't need a lamp on your feet unless you're moving down the path. God, in His Word, He reminds us that He's a lamp on our feet. We need to see where we are, but listen, He gives us a light on the path that we're supposed to take steps down to be a part of the mission of Jesus to reach the world. And that is frightening. Because listen, we don't have it all figured out. We still don't. We're never going to. One day in heaven, we'll probably figure it all out then. God will open our eyes to those things. But listen, here on earth, you're never going to know what the next thing way down the line is. God's going to give you the next step. Man, I want to challenge you today to take the step. 
to be involved in missions. But if it sounds scary, and if it sounds dangerous, and if it sounds difficult, listen, I want to encourage us today that there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the Holy Spirit living in us. But listen, there is power in the name of Jesus, and that changes things. That means that what may sound scary today, God can carry you through tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next. And listen, in Acts 3, 6, these are verses that come uh, after Jesus uh, died, after He was resurrected, after He came back and talked to with His followers, after He ascended to the Father. I love the part right in Acts 1, before I move on too much. I love the part in Acts 1 where Jesus ascends to the Father and His followers are standing there looking at Him, like watching Him leave, and an angel descends, and the angel basically looks at Him and says, why are you still standing here looking up? Didn't He just tell you what to go do? He's coming back, but not today. Go! <laughs> like, get busy. Stop looking at the sky. I think sometimes in church we can sit here in those seats and we can look at somebody here and we can be looking at the sky. We can be looking at the sky and wondering what to do next. Well, listen, God has already placed things in your life that you can be a part of His mission. You just got to take a step. We're looking at the sky. But in Acts 3, 6, we hear about the power of Jesus and the power of His name. This is Peter after he leaves Pentecost. Peter's just preached a sermon and people are hearing it in all different languages. I don't know how that happens, but that's cool. <laughs> people are hearing the gospel in all different languages. People are coming to faith. Thousands of people come to faith that day. And Peter's leaving and he's going towards the temple. He's going to worship God. And he's walking towards a gate called Beautiful. But listen, there's something laying in front of the gate that many of us would not consider so beautiful. Do you remember what that is? There's a lame beggar laying in front of the gate. He's been carried there and placed there to beg from people as they go into the temple, as they go through this gate. He's been digging in the dirt. His nails are dirty. His clothes are dirty. He's unable to walk. He's laying in front of this gate. And most people, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this, but most people, what do they do? Even though they're walking to the temple, most people just turn their heads and they walk on by. Every now and then, somebody sort of reaches in their pocket of their Levi's and toss them a few coins. And listen, he digs in the dirt and he picks up this coin, these coins, but nobody ever looks him in the eye. I don't know about you guys in New England, but down south, if you look somebody in the eye when you talk to them, what's that mean? It's respectful, right? It's... It shows love. It shows a connection. And Peter is walking past. And the man begs Peter for some money. And Peter says, listen, I don't have any money. But Peter says to the beggar, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the name of Jesus changes everything. The name of Jesus causes this lame man who hasn't been able to walk, who's been digging in the dirt and living beside this gate, it causes him to jump up and run and jump and tell people about the name of Jesus. Listen, church, rise up and walk. May we rise up and walk. 
May we take this name of Jesus and this power that the Holy Spirit gives us and may we rise up and walk just like that man did and tell people this good news. Come on. Man, what may sound scary. It's nothing to the God of the universe. But we get to be a part of it. Man. And on the other side of being a part of God's work in people's lives around the world and in this community, you're going to find joy like you've never felt. You're going to find hope and peace and love like you've never felt. Man, I want you to be a part of that. And listen... We know this name, right? We know the name of Jesus, right? If you're here today, you've probably heard the name of Jesus. You've heard about this good news. We call out to Him for our salvation. We call out to Him in our times of need. Listen, even a person who's not a believer in God will cry out to God in the middle of a car crash, won't they? Right? They may even lift up a prayer if somebody's in the hospital dying, right? Listen, we know the name of Jesus. What if there are people who don't know the name of Jesus? What if there are people on the planet who have never once heard the name of Jesus? What's that mean? Church, I want to... You know, I've been talking to believers a lot here today. I've been telling you all the things that we're meant to do, that we're supposed to step into the mission of Christ in our lives, that we're supposed to step out of missions and reach people and tell people about Jesus. But listen, I don't want to be remiss. I don't want to miss the opportunity to say, listen, there may be somebody sitting here today. There may be somebody watching online who who's never accepted the name of Christ, who's never accepted the free gift that Jesus gives us. I want to speak to you. Because listen, as I've said a few times throughout this sermon, I've said that I don't believe there are any accidents. I believe God puts us in a place for a reason. I believe He puts us in a place for a moment that's meant to change everything. And listen, for you here today, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I believe that this may just be your moment. I want to tell you that Jesus is God. I want to tell you that Jesus came to us as a missionary to reach people. I want to tell you that Jesus came and He lived a perfect, sinless life that I can't live. That you can't live. Listen, the Bible tells us that everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. That means everybody has something that separates us from a perfect God. But listen, Jesus stood in the gap. He stood in the gap for me and He stood in the gap for you to say, listen, I know what you've done. I know what you've messed up on. I know the wrong you've done and that God in His perfection can't be with you there. But listen, Jesus came and He lived a perfect sinless life and He died a death He didn't deserve. He was on a cross beaten and broken and bloody. And He was taken down off that cross after He died and He was placed into a borrowed tomb. And I don't think it's an accident that it was a borrowed tomb because listen, Jesus didn't need it for very long. Jesus goes into this borrowed tomb and He's dead and they roll a stone in front of it and three days later, what happens? He's resurrected. Jesus fights a battle with death and He wins and He walks out of this tomb and He talks to His followers and He tells His followers to go into all the world. 
Make disciples. Tell people about this good news so that they can be saved. And then he ascends to the Father. And listen, I want to tell you here today, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never said, Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I know I'm separated from God, but I believe that you bridged the gap. I believe that you came down as God, but as man, that you lived a perfect life, that you died a death that I couldn't die, that you died a death for me, that you went into a tomb and listened, that you left the sin that I've carried my life for my whole life, that you've left that sin buried there, that you rose again, that you walked out of the tomb, that you ascended to the Father and that you're coming again. Listen, if you've not said that, if you've not believed in Jesus, I believe today may be your day. Listen, I want to ask you today, if you've not done that, that you give your life to Jesus, that you say, God, I believe. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've messed up. But I believe that Jesus has cleansed my sin. I believe that Jesus makes a way for me to be in relationship with you. And listen, I want to tell you, if that's you, if you pray that prayer, if you say that to God this morning, if you believe in your heart those things, the Bible says you will be saved. The Bible says you are clean. The Bible says you are accepted as a son or daughter of the king. Congratulations. Listen, there's no better moment than that. But listen, I also want to tell you that even as you say those things this morning, I want to tell you that your next step should be this step. Your next step, the command from a king to go forward and tell people about Jesus and reach people and bring them to church and to tell people about God. And that's your next step. There's places in the world where when people come to faith, the pastor will say, listen, write down 10 people who are least likely to kill you if you tell them about Jesus and now go do it. I don't believe we should miss out on a moment that God has for us. Listen, what if people haven't heard this name of Jesus that you have just heard about here today? If you've been hearing about Jesus in this place or other places? What if people don't know about Jesus? There's a place called Pashupati in Nepal. It's a Hindu temple complex that sits on the banks of the Bhagamati River that runs through Kathmandu, Nepal. If you ever go to Nepal with me, I want to take you there and show you this place. I want to stand on the opposite bank and I want to look at this Hindu temple complex. It's one of the holiest sites for Hindus, supposedly. There are millions of gods that they worship. It's one of the holiest sites and so people come from all over the world to worship at this place. And Hindus come to die there even. They come to die there because there are funeral pyres. Their cremation pyre sticking out into this river. These concrete pillars stick out into the river, and on top of these pillars are piled sticks and straw. And if you ever stand there with me, we'll look across the river and we'll look at these sticks and straw, and you'll see a man standing alongside with a torch. And if you stand there for over a few minutes with me, you'll see a body being brought out. You'll see a body being laid on this pile of sticks and straw, and you'll see the man step forward and light the fire. 
You'll see the straw begin to burn and the smoke begin to rise. You'll see the wood begin to burn and the smoke gets darker and you'll see eventually the body begin to burn. And the smoke gets darker and the smell gets stronger. And listen, I want to tell you what you're looking at is a person who, according to Hindu tradition, was alive just 24 hours before. And I want to tell you, this person probably maybe never once heard the name of Jesus. But listen, what you're looking at on that funeral pyre is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. You're looking at this fire. The Bible tells us, and Jesus told us in more ways than one and more times than almost anything else He said, He told us about a place called hell where there's burning and fire and gnashing of teeth. There's all kinds of evil for all eternity. And listen, the people burning on that funeral pyre, I believe, and I believe the Bible tells us, are even then in a place called hell for all eternity. And listen, Jesus' follower, man, if that didn't break your heart, I don't know what will. If that doesn't move us to action, I take mission teams there before we begin the rest of our trip because listen, I want to open our eyes to the desperate need for Jesus here in this community and around the world. <coughs> Romans 10, 13 through 15. It's a group of verses that Paul writes in the Bible. Church, I believe that Every church is meant to be a going church, a sending church. I believe that every church is meant to be reaching people for Christ here, there, and everywhere. Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? He says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Listen, church, send me. Send me. Send my wife and my kids. Send my family. Send my friend Subal and his wife, Jati. Send us to tell people about this Jesus. But listen, it's not about us. I mean, we get to play a part. We get to be a part of the mission of Christ to reach the world. But listen, there are billions of people unreached with this good news. And if it's us, we can't reach all of them. I want to challenge you to send your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your grandmother, your grandfather. Listen, there may be retirees listening to me right now that could pick up, that could be supported missionaries, that could go somewhere around the planet and share Jesus with people who have never once heard the name of Christ. And you're really free to do that. There may be moms and dads that need to take their kids and go show them Jesus. <laughs> show them Jesus. There may be people that play music on this stage that need to go play music somewhere else and share the gospel around the world. Listen, I, I'm not saying that God calls all of us to move around the world somewhere, but listen, He may be calling you. I believe He's calling some of us, maybe many of us. How are they to preach unless they're sent, church? May we be a sending church. May we give and pray and love and serve. And may we also go. 
We lead mission teams around the world to people that desperately need Jesus. We get to tell people about Jesus and we get to help these churches and communities around the world grow in their faith and in their connections, their relationships to their community. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. I want to invite you to write a blank check this morning. Pastor didn't fall out of his chair. It's a good sign. When a missionary says blank check, I think people get nervous, right? But listen, don't write a blank check to me. Don't write a blank check to this church. Don't write a blank check to anybody else but God. I want to challenge you to write a blank check to God with your life this morning. I want to challenge you to say, God, whatever it is you want me to do it, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. God, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Listen, no strings attached. I think that might be the most important thing. When you say, I'll do what you want, God, I'll go wherever you want, I'll give whatever you want. I think sometimes we can tend to attach a lot of strings to that unless it messes up my future plan, unless it messes up my job, unless it means that we have to move to Afghanistan, or Nepal, or India, or Pakistan, or Southern Africa. But listen, no strings attached. That's a challenge. There's a missionary named William Borden who died as a missionary in Egypt long ago. And after he died, they found his journal and they open up his journal and they find written in there, no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. Man, may we live our lives that way. May we live our lives all in for Christ. From the person that's been a Christ follower for a long time to the person that just became a Christ follower here today. And everywhere in between, may we be looking for the steps that we're meant to take. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you came as a missionary to us. That you made a way. Father, thank you for this good news, for this gospel, for this message that we get to share with people to turn hearts towards you. But not just for now, John, just for here, God. You promised that when we believe, we become sons and daughters for eternity. Father, I thank you for that. God, I ask that this morning, whether there's people listening online or whether there's people in this room, God, that need to accept this free gift of Jesus, this free gift of salvation, listen, God, I pray, not my words, but God, that your spirit will move in their hearts even now to have them cry out to you and say, God, I need you. I believe in you. Help me. And Father, for those of us here today who either just became Christ followers or who have been Christ followers, Father, I pray that you'll move us to action, that you'll move us to be able to write this blank check, to be a sending church and a going church. Father, that we may say, God, whatever you want me to do, the answer is yes. Wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. And whatever you want me to give, God, the answer is yes. Father, accept 
our sacrifice and multiply exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just keep your head bowed for your eyes closed.